0: Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator.
1: And Martha, the co pilot, and we're talking to you from our at home studio at last.
0: May 2019, and the weather has turned. Bad. Well, it depends which day you're talking
1: about. <laughs> yes, um, we we left. Oh yes. Florida, April first, April Fools. It took us about three weeks to get home. We might tell you more about that later. And the day we arrived here was hot enough that I wore. And we've shorts been using the air
0: conditioning on on and off here lately.
1: When um I was unloading the motorhome, so Today. um. There's a threat of snow, and we have gambled. A <laughs> threat of snow? And we have gambled Oof. and not rewinterized the motorhome.
0: And fingers, Always a test. Fingers Always crossed cross test. that you that was home a good too early. decision and you don't winterize your motorhome, then you are going to suffer the consequences in the future. However, we are gambling, and uh, although the temperature is currently 37 degrees here at the end of April, the forecast is for warmer. So most of you are probably getting getting ready ready to, to to RV and are excited to see the warm weather coming further north. As uh, the spring uh, progresses. And And we're getting off the road and leaving all the campgrounds (laughs) free for you all. That's right. We are ending our camping until September, and our motorhome will be sitting away, pining away to be driven and wants to see lots of new and interesting sites. But that will not happen until fall for us.
1: And I should add that in April, we had reservations for the campgrounds we stayed at, Mm -hmm. but it was very clear that we did not need to make reservations for any of the campgrounds we stayed at, even on the weekends. And the weather was very nice. I I don't know what that means for
0: those of you who only camp in the summer, but that was our experience. And we stayed at a number of very popular campgrounds, including uh, the one near Washington, D.C., which was only... mm, Two-thirds full, maybe? Yeah, yeah.
1: So Fuller on the weekend. I don't know. We hear
0: all this stuff about campgrounds being full and it's impossible to get reservations and all that sort of stuff. But uh, that has not been our experience. But then again, we try to travel in the off-season. When you're not. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to leave it all open for the whole blessed summer. So there will be no competition from the RV Navigators for any campsites. And you're welcome to stay wherever you'd like to stay.
1: We will not be in your way. But while you're planning your next trip, we want you to um, upload our latest photograph oh, to course. your monthly
0: calendar. I'm I'd, having a hard time not using Antarctica pictures. I even told
1: though it's... the photographer oh. that it's not very inspirational and May to be looking at an iceberg. Um, well, the but penguin but, it, but it is a penguin. It's a penguin. But it is a beautiful picture. Penguins don't make it yep. any more spring-like, I'm sorry to say. <laughs>
0: So, maybe the June picture will be. I haven't picked it yet, but maybe it'll be.
1: We have some tulips here. Maybe you can take a picture of them with snow on snow. them later tulips today. And snow. <laughs> How
0: exciting. Oh, the Chicago weather in the spring is always very unpredictable. It is another place to getting Almost, really? That much? We feel rather good in that many of the places
1: we went after we left Florida have had bad storms and exciting yeah. weather. Yeah, the spring Either is. Either before we got there or and... after we left there. Uh, you really have
0: to keep an eye on the forecast as you move around in the spring, I guess. So this is episode number 169, as I said, for May 2019. We're glad to have you with us. Uh, our statistics for downloads have uh, dropped dramatically since January. Oh. Well, you can imagine. We, we had 40,000 downloads for January. Oh, my gosh. And only 20,000 for the next couple months. So we hope that you're uh, uh, enjoying the listening to the RV Navigator We enjoy making it, and we love to hear from you at rvnavigator.com. And if you have questions, uh, if you have topics that you'd like us to talk about, please uh, let us know. We we, are non-commercial. We have no ads. We have no sponsorship. And we bear all of the costs ourselves. So uh, that means that we can be independent. So if you're looking for an independent view of any particular topic, let us know. And we will give you the straight scope from there rv navigators
1: since we were tv stars back in january we've also had a steady increase in the number of people who have signed up to be part of the facebook group so if that interests you uh, don't forget that that's available for you and for sharing and bringing up topics of interest that way
0: and it replaces the now defunct google plus page which has gone away Because Google has decided, as they often do with projects, that it is no longer viable. So we're going to stick with Facebook and uh, let you have communications with us uh, on that page. Uh, We should also maybe mention something interesting, and that is uh, if you remember the January 20th podcast. Uh, interview with David Pogue, you remember that part of that segment was, actually most of the segment, very little was with us, but the the rest of the segment was with Gimlet uh, Podcasting Company, and we watched them get started four years ago. Uh, Alex Bloomberg did a podcast about starting a podcasting company, and interestingly enough, in four years, he has now sold the podcasting company that he started that just does podcasts for lucrative pieces of change and has gotten uh, two hundred over $200 million for the rights to the podcasts. Not chump change. Just, Too Spotify. bad we're not
1: part of the Gimlet family. <laughs> so we are giving up a lot of money in order
0: to we be sure <laughs> independent podcasters. But if anybody would like to offer us $200 million, let us know. We will be more than happy to talk with you. We might become commercial for that kind of money. Anyway, that's a joke. Dream on. Dream on. So uh, one of the things that's happened this month, I put together a a new system uh, that is based on blue fire. If you are interested in monitoring your engine as you drive... This is a great little tool. And Would this be useful for people who are in regular trucks, too? That's a good question. It's primarily for diesel engines, I think. Uh-huh. But your vehicle has a diagnostic port on it. And that port is used by mechanics and things to check the status of various sensors in your engine. And you can buy a gizmo to plug in there to read the parameters, but you can also buy one that will transmit live how your engine is doing to a device, such as, in my case, the iPad. Now Now, you
1: were using Silverleaf, but now you
0: Transfire because... The Silverleaf was long of tooth, and I had the Silverleaf for a long time. It was hardwired into this jack, and it read many of the things, but not all of the parameters that were coming out of the engine. It was good, but it required a computer to have, and I had to have a Windows computer, which I didn't really like, and always gave me trouble. Now this new one is you plug it in, and it's uh, Bluetooth, and it will connect to phones, it will connect to iPads, uh, Android pads, it will connect to Windows laptops via Bluetooth, so there are no extra wires. And it has uh, substantially more sophisticated uh, reading and meters. So what this tells you is all the gauges... You don't have all of the gauges, probably. And this will give you access to all of the information that your engine is putting out about how it's doing. So, for instance, I can read the exhaust temperature. Ooh, are you Mm -hmm. jealous? (laughs) What does it tell you? <laughs> the temperature of the exhaust. So, what does it well, tell? Well, if you? your engine is having trouble, the exhaust will not be normal. And in our case, when I found out that our alternator was not working right, how did I know? Because I have a gauge, not just a light, which tells me what the voltage is that the that the alternator is putting out. It tells me the exact oil pressure. It tells me uh, all the other parameters that the engine is uh, is being that's being measured by the engine.
1: If you had a really la-di-da coach, like a Prevo, would they have all these gauges? Well,
0: all of these gauges are available if you wanted to put them on the dash. I mean, you could have a dash full of gauges. Now I do. I have at least 15 new gauges. It includes a a DEF gauge. It includes a pressure boost for the turbo. It includes manifold pressure, manifold temperature, transmission temperature, engine temperature in exact uh, degrees so that you can see. As you're going uphill, how hot that engine is getting, and if it's getting too hot, it will be time to pull over. Also, air temperature, air pressure, in our case, because we have air brakes and things, it tells us that. Plus, all sorts of other good things, like instant mileage, gas mileage, and, and this new gizmo is substantially cheaper than the uh silver leaf hmm. half the price of the silver leaf so $170 and it's very easy to hook up and you can use uh, a device you probably already have for the readout so i bought a bracket for the dash so that i can mount my ipad on the dash and then the ipad then continuously reads out the engine parameters are you impressed Well, one thing I want to say is
1: I certainly can understand why you are happy to know all this information and monitor that our... Engine is behaving itself, but I find it rather consternating when we 're going down the road, and I see you looking down at your iPad instead of looking
0: at the road. Is there a safer way to do this? Well, it would be depending on where it 's mounted i don 't feel that that 's unsafe. keeps me interested in what in the driving because it kind of gets boring sometimes, just watching the road, especially on the expressway, and I can just glance down to see. If there's a red line there that I need to be taking a look at or monitoring. And, of course, if there is a problem, you need to know it fairly fairly soon. If you're getting bored, maybe you need to listen to better podcasts. Uh, I do listen to great podcasts, but still the driving it experience. Gets to, it gets it, tedious. Well, there, well, there needs to be lots of things to look at for me. So you buy a an attachment which plugs into the diagnostic port on your vehicle. And then you download the app. Uh, From your favorite app store and then you can configure it for your own use and decide what things you want to have what things are important to you because you can change the size of the dials the size of the gauges uh, the sizes of the fonts so it's a lot of fun to put together because you can customize it to your heart's content and one of the things that this new one has is circular dials (gasps) what a revelation circular gauges as opposed to what? just analog they would just had numbers. Circular is better. Well, it, it gives you at a quick glance. It gives you you can see that the gauge is in the green. Otherwise, you have to read the numbers. So this way, you just look at the mm. where the thing is pointing. Mm. See? Yeah, I see. It. So if you take a look at the web page for this month, which of course we always have updated for the every episode, you will see a sample gauge package. But you can do. And customize this to your heart's content. I found the iPad to be a nice size in terms of the screen content so that you can see exactly what you want to see with the engine. Transmission, you're, what gear you're in. You know, most vehicles don't even tell you what gear you're in. And that's important. We know somebody who's
1: lusting after a glass dash. Would that give him all of us information? Well, the glass
0: dash gets its information. Yes, the, the glass dash gets its information from this diagnostic Bus the port, so all of that information is coming down the data. It's just a matter of connecting up and, and displaying it. So this, yes, this is a glass dash, but it's extra for the poor man. Well, I don't know if I'm that poor, but it it does definitely have uh, some advantages because you can mount it wherever you want to. And if something goes wrong, you want to get a bigger screen, no problem. You just buy a bigger screen, and it works very well and as soon as you turn on the engine it keeps track of of uh trip information fuel usage all that sort of good stuff so i'm excited i can tell and we used it all the way home and it worked uh, well i customized it as we drove home mm-hmm. because that's the nice part about this is you can take the gauges and and tweak them and tweak and tinker with them and there is becoming a community of people that have sample dashboards uh, that, the, that groups of gauges that you can right, that uh-huh. you can use as a like starting a template. point so I enjoyed that. But what I didn't enjoy was the windshield wipers.
1: What a long, sad story <laughs> that has turned out to be. I try to keep things going well on our RV. And and as we left Florida, you worked very hard getting everything um, clean yes. and replaced and renewed and refreshed. And so you exchanged our windshield wiper blade. Which,
0: after three or four years, you probably want Seemed to switch, like a good idea. switch out your... But I did not... There's... Oh, oh, oh. There are so many different kinds of uh, attachments, and I ordered what I thought was exactly the right windshield wiper, and this is the second time I've replaced them, so the first time they just snapped in, and they worked fine. But, ladies and gentlemen, pay attention to your windshield wipers if you decide to replace them, because we were driving down the road, and... There goes the windshield wiper on the driver's side. It was
1: like a loose tooth <laughs> dangling there. Just what you need when it's raining. And of course, it I, was I, uh, on your side that it broke.
0: Not well. On my I couldn't side. use either. I couldn't use it even if it had broken off on the other side because you can't just have yeah, that can't tr- drag arm the, scratching the across tooth the windshield. So uh, I found out that windshield wipers, uh, the thirty-two inch variety that I have, are not only not easy to find, but the bracket that holds it onto the RV is not. Well, I guess it's standard, but it, it they have different ones for different purposes or something. I don't know. I still don't have one that's exactly right, even though I ordered it from the Amazon store and, and ordered it for exactly our motorhome. But it's not quite right. It's, it seems to work okay uh, in our most recent travels.
1: So our goal now is to not ever drive on rainy days. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And how do we do that? How about snowy days? (laughs) That too. As the motorhome sits over in its parking spot looking forlorn. One of our extended topics for today is whether or not you need to pull a toad. And that is T-O-W-E-D. Sometimes our viewers refer to it as a -A T-O-A-D, but that's kind of a joke. But what is a toad? It's a smaller vehicle that you pull behind
1: your motorhome typically right. and once you get to the campground you unhook it or deattach it if it's on a dolly and then you use that for your tourism and travel while you're in an area and then when you're ready to leave the campground
0: you reattach it and carry on. There are two ways to bring a toad. One would be with a dolly which has two wheels and you drive your, your driving wheels up on the dolly and then hook the dolly as a trailer to your motorhome the second way is to do what's called tow four down, and that means that all four wheels of your vehicle are down, and you just hook a, a tow bar up to the front and you tow it just as if it were being driven. and the advantage of course of that is is that it's very quick and easy to connect and disconnect. It doesn't require any extra accessories. Uh, you don't have any place, any worries about where to put the dolly. but the disadvantage is is that you cannot back up as a rule. Uh, we've talked about this before. Can you back up with a dolly? Well, it works like a trailer. Uh-huh. So, you know, if theoretically, you can back up a trailer, put... theoretically, there's no real problem with it. And the reason why you can't back up with a with your car four down is because the wheels in the front will jackknife the car. So you could, as I mentioned, I think last month, you could have your wife sit in the in the front and hold the wheels so that you could back up a little ways anyway. But basically, backing up is probably not a good idea with your your toad.
1: So it's my impression that a lot of people, especially when they're starting out, buy a dolly because the car they own is not towable. Not too many. Kinds towable of- four down. Not too many kinds of cars are, and rather than having to buy a totally different car, they just buy a dolly instead. We've never done this, but when I watch other people doing it, it seems tedious to drive the car on and get it belted down so that it won't fall off while you're driving, and um, then when you get to a campsite, you have to put the dolly somewhere, which can be a problem in more crowded parks. So we are definitely advocates of towing four down, but we had to buy a car that was appropriate for that, and...
0: So when you are talking about towing four down, the restrictions are that you have to have a car that you can tow four down. There are some cars that can and some cars that can't, and you need to look at the guides for each each car to see which ones you can. It's not obvious. For instance, no Toyotas can be towed four down, whereas most Jeeps can be towed four down. Ours is good because we have a transfer case and we just hit the button and it puts it disconnects the wheels from the transmission very simple and so it's a very that's why you see so many jeeps being towed by motorhomes because they are very easy to tow for down
1: and i should also add that once you've got your let's say jeep uh, ready for towing you've probably spent over $1000 putting in the plate and the towing mechanism and the electrical wiring system that activates the taillights and the turn signals, and that makes you reluctant to trade it in on a different car because then you kind of have to start over. That can be expensive.
0: And, it, well, and I think $1,000 is minimum. The tow bar costs $1,000. The base plate costs five or $600. Well, the
1: tow bar you could use again. again I'm just yes. talking about what you're putting on the car. Yes,
0: but to get yourself set up for towing four down will cost you probably a little over three thousand dollars and that includes lights it includes a braking system which of course is essential anything over three thousand pounds you need to have a braking system on it and that's just good form anyway Um, so we have what's called air force one on ours air force one uses the motorhomes air brakes to activate the brakes on the car if you don't have a diesel motor home with air system then you would have a a brake buddy or something that senses when you're slowing down and presses on the Brake pedal in the car This is a device that needs to be installed Each and every time you set up for towing
1: You put it in and then you take it out again Once you're at the campground It adds to the process And we have found it somewhat problematic at times Well,
0: I don't know how well it worked Yeah, they have. It has a sensor which sends uh, The information to you As the driver so that you can see when it's activated The Air Force One is, Doesn't require any extra components You just hook up an airline Between the car and the motorhome And the accessories that have been installed in the car uh, take care of uh, the braking, pressing on the brake pedal when the motorhome slows down. And it senses when the motorhome is slowing down because it knows when the air pressure changes. So because I have air brakes, it knows that the brakes are being applied and that the car brakes need to be applied simultaneously. So that's a a very good system, and it doesn't require a lot of extra uh, stuff to install. And the setup for each and every time that you tow is very fast because you just plug in this cable. So we have the tow bar, the breakaway cables which we need to install uh, every time we tow, and we have the umbilical cord for the electric.
1: The plate that you put in?
0: Well, that you don't install each and every time. Oh, okay. The base plate is attached to the frame of the car. Permanently. And it's permanently, and it's what the uh, tow bar attaches itself to because you have to have a good, firm place to hook up so that the car can be towed easily. So for us, that's worked out very well, and we use that car not only when we're on the road uh with the rv but we also of course use it at home it adds uh, almost no weight and there's no real downside to having it to when you're at home i take off the ears that are connected to the t- to the base plate and it it works fine i mean there's no there's no obvious interior changes that uh that happen so do you need a toad though
1: It depends how big you are, I think. Oh. Uh, Certainly we do. At 43 feet, I don't Mm -hmm. want to take the motorhome to the grocery store. No. Um, I do see much smaller Bs and Cs that are the sole vehicle Mm -hmm. that the campers are using. Uh, Once in a while, we see one that gets parked and then like five large dogs get out of it and you think whoa where did they put all those creatures but even then i would say it's inconvenient not to have a toad because you have to disconnect yourself from your sewer hose and your electric cord and all that every time you come and go from the campground so i really like having
0: a toad having just come up the east coast we stopped at uh, two fairly large cities we stopped at uh, savannah georgia And we did a little sightseeing there, and we stopped in Washington, D.C., obviously a major metro metro area. And we drove our car either to the metro station um, or we drove our car to a parking lot in the central part of the city. And I think no matter what kind of RV I would have had, even— even I don't know. Even a truck camper would have been too big for many of the places that we were going. Maybe having really- a car that is a standard sized vehicle is the way to go for that kind of travel. So if you are thinking of doing city touring, there's almost no option other than carrying having a toad. Maybe you could do Uber, but. And I've read about people that rent
1: cars for a week or two, if they're going to be somewhere for a while, that would also be another way to do it just less convenient. A lot me. of
0: people though mentioned that they that they want to do something like an Uber but in most rural areas I don't think there may, there, not be there may not be Ubers that are around and certainly the convenience of waiting for somebody to come and pick you up to take you to the grocery store. I don't know. I just have a hard time using the RV as my sole vehicle when I can tow a car and have the convenience that I have around home. That's just to be able to jump at it and go where I want to go when I want to go. So if you are contemplating Buying an RV, um, this is certainly something to consider. Do you bring a toad? Uh, if you're in a motorhome, that's uh, any size motorhome, I would say that that would be the answer. Would be yes. In a fifth wheel, you're going to have that big giant truck, and that's a problem too. Hard to park
1: sometimes, you know, especially you, those, especially doulies. if
0: you have duallys. We parked in some uh, parking lots in the city in Savannah, in particular, where standard-sized cars was all it would accommodate. Now, obviously, you would have to make uh You have to plan
1: r- accordingly. Yeah, but it would there not... There are
0: alternatives. There are alternatives, but it would not be easy. And Parking on the street would be hard, too. So we are obviously big advocates of having a toad, and I would seriously uh, think about it if I was you too, especially if you're new to RVing. It seems like having a car and a, an RV is kind of overkill, but having a separate engine. Um, <laughs> somebody said, I don't want to have two engines that I have to put oil in and, blah, and do with the maintenance on and all that sort of stuff. My feeling is I would like to have two engines because in case one quits, I have the second one to get me around and to help me in an emergency situation. So I consider having a toad to be a safety factor in addition to being a convenience factor.
1: I have vivid memories of our fifth wheel days when we spent a summer out in Colorado and did a lot of four wheeling with our truck and sometimes we would go over giant boulders and I'd hear grinding sounds from beneath me and I would think well I have an overactive imagination and I would think (laughs) oh what if something happens to this truck that's all
0: we've got now we can take our jeep and if something happens to it we just hook it on the back and tow it home (laughs) that's not exactly true but you would have that uh, as an option um, to <laughs> get it fixed independently of the rv of course everybody says you know if your engine in your motorhome goes bad then you have to take it in and you don't have any place to live i don't know There are always the the trade-offs, pros and cons, pros and cons and you have to decide which ones are best for you and as you know we have made the decision for us already
1: And while we're on the subject of camping in major metro areas, we want to give a plug to the Cherry Hill Campground Uh in Washington, D.C. We don't often talk about campgrounds specifically, and this was not a cheap choice. But as we camped there, I thought about where we would stay as conveniently in the Chicago area where Mm. we live, and I don't know of a choice like Cherry Hill in our area. As I said, it wasn't very economical, but it was so well set up for tourism, and one of the things we liked is that they had staff who were there to help you get going and by that i don't just mean maps and brochures but they explained to us how the metro system worked uh where to catch the train um how we could spend less money because we're old and they gave us special (laughs) passes for that and it made it so convenient to go back and forth to washington and stay at cherry hill a very nice campground in and of itself (laughs) and they even offered an evening tour of washington DC, which a we bus. took advantage of, which left from the campground, and in the summer they have daytime tours there as well. So um, it's not a cheap place to stay, but if you're going to do Washington D.C., I would recommend Cherry Hill, a park that has been there for 30 years, because I think we stayed there in a tent. But back they moved. In the day. Yeah,
0: but it's still. And Washington D.C. is definitely some place to put on your to-do list washington dc is a fabulous fabulously great tourist city it's our nation's capital of course and has all those famous attractions that you've seen but they have done a very nice job of making it tourist friendly by kicking out all the cars well i don't know if they've actually kicked them out but uh there seems to be actually plenty of parking in the downtown area how far is cherry hill from downtown washington dc I don't know. It took us Why? a good because half an hour. It on took the us train. 20 minutes 25 yeah. minutes on the train. Yeah. So the cool thing about Washington, D.C. is the great metro system. And I know Chicago has a nice metro, but it's not nearly as nice as the one in Washington. Uh, the trains were for our, and our experience, were not too crowded. Um, they came regularly. It was reasonably priced, and it took us to where we wanted to go, which is uh, very convenient uh, when you're a tourist in a city. So at Cherry Hill, they have a shuttle, which actually takes you to the metro station, which is very nice. So you don't chose- a toad, they will just take we, you there. yes, that's right. This is one time when you could get along without a toad. Uh, we chose to drive to the station because it saved one connection with the bus and the associated, associated money involved with that. But it was the same metro station that the bus took took you to, and we would get on the metro. And I don't have any idea how far we were from Washington, D.C. We never drove down there really, because we just got on the train, and it's underground, so. <laughs> You make a seven or eight stops, and you're in, uh, right at the mall in the downtown in, in the central part of Washington, D.C. We were able to do all the things we wanted to do from that uh, location. We went to the White House. We went to uh, the Capitol. We went to the Washington Monument. We went to the Lincoln Memorial. We saw went the cherry blossoms. The, saw the cherry blossoms. All of those things are within easy distance. And one of the things that makes that also convenient is they have a nice circulator. Which is a bus that goes in a circular uh, route around all of the big attractions, and it's free. Right now it is.
1: Well, and even when you had to pay, I think it was a dollar. It's free. So that was... Once you get there, Washington is a cheap city, because many of the things you do are Smithsonian's, and those are are all free. Which are all free. Oh, and I also wanted to add, uh, if you don't (laughs) want to spend uh, the money that Cherry Hill charges, uh, we moved at the end of our visit to a campground in Reston. And after I studied the subway map, I saw that Reston is also at the end of a different subway line. And we could have done the same thing from there, saving uh, quite a bit of money. But there was no one at that park who would have explained to us how it all works. And that was worth something to me. Doing it for the first time,
0: well, and I think that Cherry Hill has lots of kids' activities Was washington d c is not for little kids, I wouldn't say would no, you
1: some of the museums might have
0: yeah kid stuff but, but it's it's basically for junior high or older yeah. or older, I would say, but it is iconic yeah. and. We hadn't been there in twenty five years, so it was fun to see it again and see what's changed. Uh, one of the biggest things that we saw that was new was this huge new a- aeronautics and Space Museum out by the Dulles airport closer to reston Gl- very close to reston and By the way, the campground in Reston was called uh F- Lake Fairfax, and it was forty dollars a night for just wa- just just electric. electric. Yes, so it was kind of expensive, but it had nice sites, not too many sites, <laughs> and there were only half a dozen people there, so that was nice too. And it was like it's a county park, I and mean, there are probably other cheaper other ones around. Certainly more than there are in the Chicago area. But that I guess, we, know I guess there but were, we don't pay attention. Well, we do pay attention, and there are not any that are close. And, and I don't think you would take the subway down to Chicago. I don't know. We'd take the subway down to Chicago, and we would we pay thirty bucks for parking.
1: Our friends would do it, like from St. Charles, they take yeah, the train.
0: And we'll take the train.
1: Yeah, but the, even the train the is like ice the train is
0: like fifteen bucks round yeah, trip. Yeah, it was not I nearly mean, as affordable. Whereas this train, the subway was two, two bucks each way for old each- people. For old people, yes. And... Uh, Who's old? <laughs> Certainly. Our trip from Florida, we left on, in April, we, uh, on April 1st, and we went to Savannah and then up to Rock Hill, South Carolina, where we visited family and friends. And then we went to Washington, D.C. And from there, we drove through the Laurel Highlands of Pennsylvania. The southwest corner of Pennsylvania. Which is a very scenic area.
1: Very hilly. Kind of hair raising to drive in with the motorhome, um, but nice parks and beautiful scenery. The Frank Lloyd Wright Falling Water is in that area, and we went there to ride some bits of um, an amazing bike trail. Theoretically, you could we could have ridden all the way from Washington D.C. to Pittsburgh. Part of it was a towpath uh, near the Washington end, and, and a part of it is where they would
0: tow barges, barges along. Beside in a, in a, a, a canal, right? So they had the canal, and then the mules would tow barges up and down the canal, and they've turned these this barge pathway into a bike path. So this is about three hundred miles. From Washington, D.C. to Pittsburgh A little more, yeah
1: And then the Pittsburgh end of it is a rails-to-trails type bike trail That are more commonly available all over the country But very nice
0: Very nice And a uh, nice crushed gravel uh, roadway And they have lots of bridges and tunnels And we crossed over the Continental Divide the And the Mason- Mason-Dixon Dixon Line <laughs> So there's lots of things to do And uh, there we stayed at a COE campground a Corps of Engineers when the Corps of Engineers builds a big project like a dam they frequently build a campground in association with it and these are called COE campgrounds and if you have not been to COE campgrounds they are lovely they are the traditional camping experience we should mention that all the COEs are now reservation only and you can only reserve online we learned. Right. But that's no big deal because that means you've got the site that you want when you get there. But you cannot just drive in and camp because all the sites are reserved. And
1: or you can drive in and find that out and then call up and make a reservation. <laughs> I'm for not even sure
0: you can call. I think you have to do it online.
1: For the site that you're standing at. That's yeah. what those people said. Yeah. So the COEs tend to be very affordable for you young youngsters. They tend to be $20 a night. For us, it was only 10 and they're spacious and have nice concrete pads and nice fire rings and picnic tables and all the things you think of when you want to go camping. Uh, before we get too far off the bike trail, we should mention that this was an opportunity for us to really put our newish e bikes through their faces. As you might recall, this was Ken's idea and I was less than enthusiastic, but one of our rides was about eight miles of uphill. And Ooh, we though, didn't know that. Even yeah. though I'm sure I would have gotten it was there. It a railroad
0: grade, but boy, that train was working hard.
1: I would have gotten there eventually, but I was really glad to have my e-bike to get there a lot sooner. And it was nice to have the choice of exercising my muscles, and when they'd had enough, I'm um, still being able to proceed at a fast pace in some cases.
0: So our e-bikes, we put about uh, close to 100 miles on our e-bikes uh, and the trip home. Uh, doing both uh, a little bit of the towpath and a little bit of other things. And uh, the major grade we had was uh, coming up to the Continental, Continental Divide, Divide, which I guess is logical, but I never thought about it. I looked at it on Google Earth, and I said, oh, that looks like a nice trail, so let's take it. And, ooh, it turned out to be uh, was, trains was, can't <laughs> go up really steep, but they can go for a long, long time. time. And so this was quite a long grade, and eight miles was only the part that we did. But they have nice, uh, very nice uh, visitor centers and stuff along the, what's it, I forget the name of the path. What's the path called? The
1: Greater Allegheny is the Pittsburgh end of it. Okay. I don't know what the Washington end of it is called. The the towpath.
0: But anyway, this is, uh, you can camp along the way, or you can get a a sag wagon and have uh, your experience and just ride the whole thing if you want to. We have some friends who've who've ridden the entire trip. I think it's kind of an adventure, kind of like going on the Appalachian Trail or something, only obviously not nearly as long but if you had three or four days no if you had a week you could probably do the whole thing one way one Especially
1: way. if you had an e-bike. And some of the old depots have been turned into museums and snack bars and all sorts of tourist-friendly facilities. Um, I think this is going more heartily in the summer than when we were there in the spring, but it was a
0: pleasure. And if you'd like to do camping uh, and bring your stuff with you, like, a tent, like, tent like tent the, camping. T- the COE campground that we stayed at was located directly on the path. So you could just ride your bike off the path, put up your tent and uh, you would have a place to stay for the night so that was nice uh and it's nice to see that uh, these areas are being developed and ohio pile is a very big touristy area um it has uh, rafting and all sorts of family activities in the state park so we have done that uh in the past but uh we were reminded that it's a very nice place to visit in the summer and i think it's probably somewhat cooler although we found it to to be a little too cool.
1: Because we were there too early,
0: we were there in the spring, and the COE was not full at all. I was surprised Easter weekend, and we're at a major campground in a nice tourist area, and it was less than half. Oh, less than less than a quarter. I would say about a quarter full. So it is possible to get nice campgrounds. uh, Almost any time of the year, I think.
1: We don't know about the summer. Yeah,
0: well, probably in the During summer.
1: During the times that we go. Yeah.
0: So take a look at uh, at driving this way. This is a nice way to come back from Florida. If you're going up to the Northeast, uh, you don't necessarily have to go on 95. And with all the accidents on 95, I can see why you wouldn't want to do that. Some of these car accidents that have blocked off the entire road have given me shivers. I think.
1: We've always said that we are not bird watchers, and
0: we are not bird watchers.
1: Part of that relates to our interest in photography and the kinds of birds that we most commonly see in our part of the United States, which are brown or gray <laughs> and small and hiding behind the leaves. And so, it's really hard we to watch, watch them, much less take a picture of them. But certainly, the beginning of the winter when we were in Florida seeing all those uh, spectacular water birds, I think. I think we've talked about them before, and, and then we went to Antarctica and had to learn about all the various kinds of penguins, made us more interested than we have been in the past. So, I think the key is that we're and not we're going to the Galapagos, we're not small bird watchers. But if a bird weighs more than 10 pounds, <laughs> we're interested. <laughs> pounds. <laughs> So, I know robins. So we found a really good app uh, from Cornell University, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which we downloaded, that has helped it's us free. greatly identifying birds, even ones that don't weigh 10 pounds. So we wanted to mention that as, as a a good resource if you are at least as interested in birds as we are.
0: I'm very interested in birds now that I see all these great pictures. And I'm going to enroll in the class. On, what was it, sparrows? no. Was, what was warblers. That? I'm going to enroll in the warbler class. They offer a $99 special on a course in identifying warblers of all things. I don't, even know, I don't know you, if I've ever even seen a warbler. They're probably small and brown and gray. But I'm going to spend $99 <laughs> to learn how to, how to identify warblers? I just got the email today. I am an advocate of watching birds. I like the colorful birds, but I don't know anything about them. So I'm going to try to use this app a little bit more and to try to identify. But I'm not going to pay $99 to take a course in warblers. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: There are obviously people out there who find that a good way to you spend they, their money. Do they
0: make any money off of them?
1: Sure. Why not? Of a course in warblers?
0: <laughs> you got to be kidding me.
1: People have all kinds of hobbies, especially old people who have more time to do that sort of thing.
0: So I should be interested in warblers.
1: No, that's up to you. You're interested in engine monitors. and How about electric- new headphones? Yeah, <laughs> and new headphones.
0: You can talk about those. (laughs) Oh, my. Uh, So we are always listening to podcasts. And when you're listening to podcasts and you have things in your ears, it often makes it difficult for you to hear what else is going around you. And over the years, I've tried uh, headphones that are not intrusive. But there is a new one that I just purchased uh, called Aftershocks, the Trex Air. And the Aftershocks put nothing in your ears. And she says, how do they transmit the sound? Through your head bones. Whoa, through my bones? Yes. Yeah, you're exactly right. They lay in front of your ears. and They're very light, um, and they're very un- unintrusive. And they have a pad that fits in front of your ear towards your eyes. And somehow it transmits the sound. Through your skull. Quite capably. Great sound. Great sound.
1: Have you tried using them with a bike helmet? Because that's sometimes I've ridden my bike. Well, it has with, the it
0: has the thing that goes around the back. No, I haven't tried it. That would be a good good I, idea. I
1: like to listen to podcasts while I'm riding my bike, but I uh. always think it's kind of dangerous because, like you said, you, when stuff's in your ears, mm-hmm. you can't hear the traffic yeah. around you, and um, that seems like a better way to go
0: if it works with a helmet. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with the helmet, but it wouldn't block your hearing.
1: Well, it would all have to fit on your head. Wouldn't well, your fits, but it fits around on? the
0: back. Some, the strap. The, stra- but the my helmet is on the back of head too. It has a it has a titanium band that goes around the back of your head. If you take a look at them, they are unobtrusive and easy to use. Bluetooth, so they connect up to almost any device with no wires. And great sound. Well. For podcasts, they make great sound. I really haven't listened to much of the music. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I don't listen to uh, that much music while I'm, I'm traveling, so I listen to podcasts, and they work quite well with that. And of course, this month, we also had lots of news from Apple. Are you going to have your Apple credit card? I'm excitedly know. waiting for the AI? Apple credit card.
1: Why do I want it?
0: Because it offers you a 2% cash back?
1: Well, don't a lot of credit cards do that? I don't think so. Like Discover and my they sister, offer cash back, my sister per, has a Costco card where they two per,
0: get... Not 2%. I think so. Well, Costco, but that's only Costco. Well, this is everything. And it's a very cool credit card. Why? It's white and has no numbers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, they've got your number, don't they?
0: <laughs> well, we'll be getting an app Well, Apple. then
1: you won't be able to use your Apple Pay on that. your
0: watch. I will definitely be able to use then my Apple I Pay. Then
1: why have a credit card that nobody can see?
0: Well, because the credit card is active on other devices, you don't have to have the actual card.
1: Well, then who cares what it
0: looks like? Uh, it's cool. <laughs> I almost stumped him. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, and and low interest rates and no uh, overdraft charges and no late fees, all that sort of good stuff. Apple's taken out because they care about their customers. Isn't it that
1: you have to have a certain nope. FICO score? Or FICO nope. score? No,
0: nope. anybody can get one, no matter what your FICO score is.
1: Okay, we will report on this new development when we have one.
0: And we're very happy to have News Plus.
1: And you'll hear the yin and yang of customer satisfaction because you're
0: very <laughs> dissatisfied with tapestry.
1: I'm not. I will. I like texture much better. Tapestry texture.
0: Oh. Okay, texture.
1: We've talked about Texture before. For a very minimal monthly fee, we had access online to many, many periodicals. Some I read, some he reads. We could share the account. Worked
0: very well. I loved it. But it's been, what, purchased by Apple? Yes. Well, no, Texture was purchased by... I have it down here Tapestry. Texture was purchased by Apple uh, well over a year ago, and now it's been incorporated into a new app that's called News Plus. And this is uh, this, the bad thing about this is is that it's only available to Apple customers.
1: where Texture was for anybody. Yeah, uh-huh. there
0: was an uh, an Android version, but over three hundred magazines, the LA Times, uh, available. More newspaper, and if you are subscribing to other newspapers that are not normally Wall in Street their
1: Journal. package, you can link those newspapers to News Plus and it kind of consolidates everything that you read into one place. However, as, However. as a passionate New Yorker reader for my entire adult life, they cut off the last page oh, which no. has the joke on it where you can write the captions and send them in and win a copy of the joke to be framed on your wall. Which makes me do we have any of those? Highly annoyed. So um, I want the entire New Yorker, including the last page, which so far I haven't seen.
0: We are not overly impressed with news. We liked liked texture. texture. But we're going to have to make the transition because at the end of May... C'est la vie, hasta la vista. Texture. Texture. So Apple has a lot of other uh, interesting news that they've uh, been developing. And this latest uh, event was uh, just hardware, just software, no hardware. So we have nothing new to report on the hardware front. Uh, this is an interesting topic. Uh, we, have, we, Of course, because we're kind of techies, we are always interested in data and how to get data. And for our entire trip home, which was about a month long, we did not use any Wi-Fi from a campground. We brought our own. Can you imagine that? I mean, this is something I would never have believed we would say a year ago even, or a couple of years ago, certainly. We were always stretching to use and find the Wi-Fi in the campground, and we were always disappointed, or most, a lot of the time. I have a Wi-Fi extender. I haven't used it, and I haven't used it in a year.
1: We spent thousands of dollars eating pricey Panera lunches because they had good Wi-Fi that we could use while we were
0: there. Well, oh, that was good in and of itself, but, but yes, but yes, always trying no to find Wi-Fi. But this trip on the way home, we are two hotspots, one from AT&T and one from Verizon, worked everywhere. And they were much better than anything we found in the campground, even Cherry Hill, which has good Wi-Fi. Did not have uh, the kind of Wi-Fi that we need. Now... We were able to stream movies whenever we wanted to? Well, that's my question. Do we get rid of the dish and disco streaming? Now that we... If we can well, use... What about
1: recording stuff?
0: You don't have to. It's available on demand. Everything? Well, certainly... Local news? Ch- local Chicago news. Mm. Through my app. Because I have my device... Right here at home, Mm -hmm. which records everything Mm -hmm. from Chicago. Only nerdy people do that. Well, we would we would have to watch it on the air. Do we transition to an all streaming system? And I think the hardware and the capabilities is there. We now have unlimited on our phones. We have unlimited two unlimited hotspots, uh, so that we have on the way home. We had even in Ohio pile. Where the nearest grocery store was 18 miles away. And we got no over-the-air TV and no over-the-air FM radio. Radio. So we didn't get NPR. We had good streaming capabilities, and we could stream with both of the devices there, which is pretty amazing. And so if you're on the cusp, you don't need to buy a Wi-Fi extender. (laughs) Just buy yourself uh, one of the hotspots. And the hotspot data is becoming very reasonable Oh, I didn't put it in here but I'll try to put it into the uh, on the webpage that uh, oh, here it is. <laughs> I did put it in the notes. We put know? in
1: the speed things. No. Put-
0: the visible is oh. Verizon's prepaid uh-huh. brand, uh-huh. Visible, offering an unlimited data plan for $40 a month, always capped at 5 megabytes per second and hotspot use is enabled. So here you would have for $40 unlimited data capped at 5 megabytes now is that a severe limitation my estimation is probably not because here are some benchmarks that you probably should know about over 20 megabytes you will feel awesome (laughs) for just about everything large files will download quicker and it's the minimum required for 4k hd video streaming that's 20 megabits now, if you have 5 megabits, it will give you a solid surfing experience, and it's suitable for most HD, and that's uh, 720 or 1080, video streaming. A good aim for two-way video conferencing, a good way to do video two-way video conferencing. So 5 megabytes is... About the minimum, but it is, it is feasible to be able to do decent video on 5 megabits. Now, if you have 1 to 5 megabits, it will still feel snappy for most basic surfing. 720p and lower video streaming will still be pretty smooth. You likely won't feel these speeds being slow unless you're trying to do super high bandwidth things like downloading large files or streaming 1080p video under 1 megabit a second starts to make the modern internet feel slow but still usable. Even low-res video, 360 or 420, streaming may be still possible with some buffering. Pages will load, but pictures might take a moment to fill in. Under 500 kps, that's half a megabyte, you can get downright painful for anything more than the basics. And of course, we started off with 128 kilobytes, which is a quarter of the 500 (laughs) kps. How did we survive? How did you survive? So bottom line here is is that on our unlimited plans, we've been getting in the 15 to 20 megabit range. On the East Coast. On the East Coast, but in some fairly remote areas. Right. Uh, both Savannah was remote as well as the Washington, well, the Washington, D.C. area was good, but no, the no. Ohio area was. My my memory
1: of very meager service was the Montana North Dakota, South Dakota area, so I would like to put that area to the test. Yeah, but you don't have Wi-Fi either. But we would have
0: a dish still. Not for, well, for TV. Yeah. Well, and then over the air, I don't know. It's it's a conundrum when we haven't quite... It's hard to
1: generalize when we haven't covered the whole country recently, and it's a constantly changing uh, topic, but we are in hog heaven with all the megabytes that we were able to download on this trip.
0: Yeah, that's been a a real change, and the challenge has gone out of it. I used to have to spin the things around and try to get connected, and Wi-Fi was here today and gone in the next minute, and we never had uh, consistent service. It's nice while you're driving, too.
1: It's also made me more likely to use my phone for navigation, which sometimes is perplexing. Ken is driving with the Rand McNally RV, GPS, and I'm using our old Garmin GPS on my lap. I always have a paper map on my lap because I'm worried that the electronics will crap out. And now I have my phone to navigate with. So sometimes on some parts of this trip, we had four different versions of the route, and we had a hard time deciding which one was the best choice. But it was nice to have all that information.
0: I agree. And so this is a fast-changing area, and this new plan from Verizon is actually uh, quite impressive, and they just keep getting faster and cheaper. So... At home here, we now have, I came home and I did the speed check here, and we have 175 megabits a second, which, of course, is staggeringly fast at no extra money, and to have it included in our bill on our homeowners association in Florida, we have over 100 megabit service there, so that's pretty much taken care of. So now just to get the mobile Wi-Fi, not Wi-Fi, but the mobile data taken care of would cement the program and make it, a seamless experience all the way from home to wherever we're traveling coast to coast coast to coast so we don't need this dish at all you could certainly get hbo and showtime and those the the regular stations Mm. i've been Mm. getting these messages from direct tv about getting streaming service rather than through the dish Mm -hmm. i don't know we pay a lot for the dish the world is changing and we have to keep up and we do We are modern, up-to-date people. We have our engine monitors and our data collectors. Because we go camping. I was pleased
1: to read an article that said, when I go camping, I see many older people that are still active. And I thought, I hope that means me. They're hiking the trails, paddling the rivers, and generally getting outside. I've realized that RVing helps people stay active and feel young. Research has shown there are several methods to extend your life and keep your brain and body in the best condition. RVing provides the opportunity to experience these ways every day. So even though most of you are not as old as I am, you're older than you were yesterday. And so you
0: need to hit the road in your RV and stay fit and young. And more than 7.2 million households in the U.S. have started camping over the past five years, bringing the total number of camping households in the United States to a new high of 78 million households according to the 19 to the 2019 north american camping report an annual independent study supported by campgrounds of america north americans are also camping more frequently than ever before with 72 percent growth among those who camp three or more times each year the most avid camping campers since 2014 so our lifestyle is growing and the campgrounds are getting full and we're off the road so we're gonna end it up for this month and say happy camping get out your rv do the spring cleaning take a hike take a hike get in the car drive around put up the tent pegs. See our beautiful country. It is beautiful but don't do it when it's snowing like it, is, <laughs> like it is about to now because... We'll just pull the
1: curtains and pretend we're still in Florida.
0: And we very much appreciate you listening and we hope that you'll keep in touch with us as uh, the RV Navigators. We always like to hear from uh, our listeners and we hope that we stay above 20,000 listeners. <laughs> Should we ask David Pogue for a repeat? Yeah, I think we're going to have to. Yeah. We, have to more, we need more publicity. Uh, Do we need more listeners? I don't care. We have the best listeners. That's right. We care about quality. Okay, so for now, get out and camp, and we will see you, Will. Not for a while. We. I'd not like to say campground. we'll see you in a campground near us, not but for a while. not for quite a long time. So we will see you. We will see you.
1: You'll have to let us know how the campgrounds are doing.
0: Yeah, give us a a report on how you find the campgrounds, whether you're finding them crowded, are the roads crowded. Anyway, we'll talk to you later. Bye for now. Happy travels.